0: Welcome back to Redrawing the Bath. This is your host Chris Harmon, and today I have the special opportunity to introduce you to someone who I actually met through social media because of what I've been working on. Um, someone who has really encouraged me in a lot of ways, has really pushed my thinking in a lot of ways. Who is, and in a in a very brave and and caring way, both to me and to the church, has given over a side of himself. To the world in, in his new book, Birds, Bees, and Me, so today I have this special opportunity to welcome Colin Bryce to the show. Colin, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, man. I'm super happy to be here. so I, I usually start the show by asking what your faith journey has been like and up until this point, and obviously that's what the book is about. So I think the best first question is, why did you feel the need to write the book? like what was it in your life? Because obviously the book is very personal and very transparent, which is something that I love about it, but what was the experience that catalyzed
1: this book being written? So I think I have a few kind of fragmented answers for that. The first being kind of uh, that I just love to write. (laughs) I um, just started kind of going through everything I had written um, from middle school on, and kind of realized that this all came back to uh, my spiritual journey where we're kind of the, the junction of my faith and sexuality met. And, um, Mm -hmm. that being said there, I think I hit a point in, in maybe college that I just thought to myself, this, this is not survivable on my own. You know, I can't function as this closeted gay Christian man without the help of, uh, my church, you know? Um, so I started looking through all these things that I had written down Hmm. and just how my story has evolved over the years and thought, I I think I want to share this. I think I want to, um, show, show the church in my camp, just kind of what I've seen and what I've felt in these first 25 years.
0: Yeah, no. And and that's great. And and that's something that like I said, I mean the book is so transparent and it it's impressive how much time you put into a very short amount of of text of, of whether it was poetry or allegory or experiences that you've had that that you've made anonymous. Um it, you did this amazing job of just kind of weaving all these different thoughts and, and even ways to process thoughts in general into a story that in a lot of ways made me feel like the closest that I could probably ever get to experiencing what it's like to be you. Like I literally felt for the majority of that book, like I was in your head (laughs) and it was, it it was, wow, it was jarring and it was uncomfortable, but in, in one of the best ways possible because now, because it's so important to, to understand how other people experience things and the church is so bad at that. And so for me to be able to step inside your brain for a second and be like, wow, this is this is convicting. This is confrontational. But it's also really hopeful.
1: Wow. Thank you so much. I was a, I was telling a friend the other day that I was really prepared for um, the negative feedback, but I, I haven't yeah. prepared at all for the positive feedback yet. So I, just, I don't really know what to say, but I, I feel so thankful for for that compliment. That means a lot to me.
0: Yeah, I, I think what, what's so beautiful about it, it, especially, is you've kind of released it at the perfect time, at least in, in the theological climate that is the church in America today, in the sense that regardless of, of where you stand on, on the conversation, any, uh, any theologian worth their salt is going to agree on the fact that we're not handling this well. Mm, and you've yeah. kind of presented a, a conversation, but also a a just kind of here I am to really make people realize, holy crap, like we have not handled this well at all.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Um, yeah, I, I really I took some lengths in my editing to make sure that um, if if I was trying to communicate something, it was an experience, you know, it wasn't hmm. like a, um, I think you you might've noticed that there wasn't a ton of theology involved. It was all just kind of, this is what happened. And this is how I felt about it.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, yeah. And, and I think there's so much value and truth just in a story and I I'm really excited to share it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you should be. And, and that's something that, I mean, w- from what you've mentioned in your book and what you've written it, it, you grew up in a very conservative church background. And and I understand that as well in the sense that experience is kind of, Oh, don't like I was even just listening to a, a sermon from a, a church I used to go to this morning. And they were saying, uh, don't care about what man says about God care about what God says about God. It's like, well, that's mm-hmm. hard to do because you're still a man telling me about what God says about God. So regardless, right. you're still a man saying something about God, and and so we've kind of negated experience and made it into this thing that really doesn't matter. When in actuality, theology is supposed to be experiencing God in real time.
1: Totally, yeah, and I would say it, it's even kind of the the driving force, like, um. I just don't know many fervent Christians who are not, in some ways, being driven by what they're experiencing. Hmm. Yeah, even the heavy types. Well, even in your book, you mentioned the the question
0: that that might be posed to to someone who finds himself discontent of the is the gospel not good enough for you? And you you're like yes and no, Uh, and that was. I mean, I, I teared up. I was like, dang, like that's, that's powerful. Um, Mm, because we, we all want to say yes, but more often than not, we want to say no. And, and so, but I guess to, to my first question with all of this in mind, with, with being raised in a more conservative environment and the, and the church climate and experiencing God. And even as you said early on in your book, you have, and like you said that you don't talk a lot about theology in the book and you think that that's important. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, but you did mention that, that you have friends that are are on the affirming side. You have friends that are both openly gay and have same-sex partners, and then you have friends that are non-affirming. So you have, have chosen to remain celibate. And so I'm curious about that decision as someone who has a, a, a very diverse spectrum of, of people under the umbrella of Christianity in their lives.
1: Yeah. So, um and I think one thing I love about looking back on my journey in my book is I think you see kind of an evolution even there. Like there's a lot of times I'll read, Hmm. you know, stuff I had thought and said in middle school and high school and think, man, I've come a long way just in (laughs) in how I feel and think about my sexuality. Um, One of those being, there's a huge spectrum there. Uh, At first Hmm. I thought it was just kind of, you know, you have your side A, affirming Christians who, um, in a lot of ways, will maintain a, a a sexual ethic, but in a way that embraces homosexuality as well, um, and then your side mm-hmm. B, which will be your, your, your celibate gay Christians, uh, and that's an oversimplification for sure, but that was mm-hmm. just kind of my understanding. And now looking back, I'm like, whoa! I was not, uh, I was not side B at first. You know, I was really clinging to a belief that um, God was going to change me. You know, if I had enough faith, and I had hmm. uh, Christian mentors telling me that, you know. Um, but the, I, I think my evolution comes. And whenever I realized that that wasn't true, um, for me anyway, and that I was going to have to come to terms with my sexuality and the tension that just comes with that and what I was going to do with that. Um, The work that I've done has not led me to an affirming position yet on homosexuality. But mm-hmm. uh, I just look up to so many people who are affirming and really, you know, identify with a lot of their stories as well. So I've kind of I feel like I've suspended my judgment as far as uh, what I think about it. But for now, I have remained celibate and am going to for a while.
0: That's a very interesting and in, a, in, a, in the best way possible, a very interesting place to be in the sense that like you said I mean obviously I'm not speaking from personal experience but within the the conversations that are observable it's a much bigger conversation of uh, than are you affirming or are you not affirming it's it's are it, it's a huge conversation I mean they even just now in the last few years I mean my oh, memory yeah. has come into the conversation. Um, whether like a, a biblical sexual ethic outside of monogamous marriage, um, there, there are so many things that are, I mean, it's kind of just been a conversation that's exploded over the last, even just two years. I mean, I remember growing up, it was just something you did not talk about. Um, it was never really discussed unless it was a political conversation. But I think that's the, the problem is that it, it, over the last few years or it's a good thing, but it's a response to the problem that it was a, it was a statistical issue instead of a personal issue. It was a it was a let's just talk about it instead of talk about my next-door neighbor or my classmate or my teammate or my uh best friend or my sister. It was always just systematic theology textbooks having a tiny chapter instead of us a- actually asking the question what the hell does this look like to live in light of myself or in light of those around me.
1: Yeah. And there's so many uh, people who have such insightful thoughts, but are too scared to say them because mm. they know that means coming out of the closet. Yeah. And I think that's so sad that, um, you know, one of the main issues with, with transferring this information is that we just don't have a voice because it's not safe to.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's it do you think the climate's changing though in in the church? I mean obviously it I guess it would depend on what your experience is, but at large, do you think that the climate
1: is changing from unsafe to safe? I really do um i and I think it has to do with uh generational differences hmm. but i've I've just noticed so often that it's <laughs> almost anticlimactic when I come out of the closet to a friend. Who's close to my age because they just really uh, I don't want to say don't care because they deeply care about me but it's not like a there's just not an emotional reaction like there is um with maybe some of the older generation mm-hmm.
0: yeah and, and my
1: experience yeah,
0: yeah and, and it, it seems like a lot of that comes from I guess the way we experience the world I mean unfortunately there's always going to be the gatekeepers that are like, or like you mentioned in your book, that the Southern Baptist Convention said that you cannot identify as gay. Which it's like that's funny because I can definitely identify as straight and mm. still be a Christian. Like I can still say I like women, or I'm i tra- I'm attracted to the opposite gender, or I can walk into church and hold my wife's hand and be fine. Like that's that's something I can do on a Sunday morning. And so I'm, I'm I want to hear your perspective on that as someone who just recently left a church within the SBC of what, what if I don't think there's any good, but what, what does it look like for you when a, when a major denomination like the SBC comes out and says, Hey, you, you gay celibate Christians, we want you here. We want your service. We want your tithing, but you can't. And we want you to remain sexually within the normatives that we've established and created, but we don't want you to identify as what you are.
1: Yeah. I, um, I was astounded when I heard that, you know, I just Mm. didn't know there was so much within the spectrum and, um, you know, gay Christians were some of the people signing off on that statement. Mm. And I was just like, why, why are we handing over this, this dynamic to, people who have historically not really understood us or made an effort to. Um, and it's, it's so funny cause it's like, don't call yourself gay. Oh, okay. I'm not gay. I'm i uh, I'm just attracted to men. <laughs> it's yeah. like, what, what are you really trying to accomplish here other than to tell me to shut up? Yeah. Oh uh, man. It's, it's really interesting and almost comical more than anything to me. But, uh, Yeah, I don't really. I I think I respect a lot of Christians who don't want to use that language, Um, and that's you know that's their choice for sure. But um, I'm I'm going to communicate what I feel and what I experience with the language that I have Mm. for it. Um, Yeah, and I don't really. I don't really like that being dictated.
0: Yeah. Well, well, it seems like that's the only word you can't use. It, I mean, you can say homosexual, you can say same sex attracted, but the minute you bring out a word like gay, it's like, oh no, you can't, you can't say that.
1: Yeah, that's been a new experience for me. Maybe like the past year or two. Um, yeah, it seems really trivial. Like, a, mm-hmm. I almost, I almost don't want to add. <laughs> much to that conversation because i'm like what's what are we trying to do here
0: yeah yeah well i mean you did a pretty good job of of kind of stumping that entire concept of you can't tell me who i am in your book and and i guess first question about the book is obviously as we've talked about before you do this really good job of, of blending different writing genres and and one of the allegories that kept coming up throughout the book was this idea of the acre. And so I'm interested because I remember reading that and I was like, this is the first question I'm going to ask him, but obviously it hasn't been. Um, but what, <laughs> where did you, where did you come up with that idea of, of the acre?
1: I was so stoked when he wanted to ask that, because that's one of my favorite uh, additions to the book. Um, so, so I guess what did you what did you think about it? Like, what did it mean to you? It kind of, I mean,
0: shoot, I think the the path there kind of represented what we go through to get to where we want to be, in the sense that I think when I think of a place like the Acre that you described, it's kind of like I've arrived, I'm here. Like, I I look out at this vast. I don't know. Do you watch the show Outlander? No, I don't okay. well, there's over the last season they've they've traveled somewhere and they're up in the mountains, which is supposed to be North Carolina, but it's Scotland. So Abby and I always laugh when we're watching it, but they get up on top of this mountain and they see this vast valley, and there's like a waterfall and this little clearing for them to make their houses, and they're like, "We're here, this is it." And so that was kind of my interpretation of the acre, and then getting there was the the troubles along the way.
1: mm. I love that I uh I really left it open-ended for a reason because I, I wanted a lot of people to be kind of unsure of what they thought of it mm-hmm. to to think on it a little bit more um it's such a short book I I wanted people to have something to talk about I guess that uh wasn't very clear-cut <laughs> um So that was one of the first things that I wrote whenever I decided that I wanted to uh, turn this into a book. Hmm. Um, It started out very, very different. It was kind of a metaphor on uh, the Lewis and Clark expedition and kind of mapping out America. Um, And I loved the metaphor a lot because it, it, it brought your attention not to Lewis and Clark, who everyone talks about but the second set of explorers who took a very different route and ended up in i think california whereas lewis and clark ended up in kind of the seattle washington area Hmm. and my point being that we we can't disregard someone's route just because it's different Hmm. um and we would have lost a lot of information had we have done that as far as mapping out america but it read very textbooky and heady and I really wanted this book to be, um, heart forward. So, so the metaphor being that, um, you know, we can't disregard one person's perspective just because it's, it, it ended up in a different spot, but I rewrote it and rewrote it. It still didn't work, but something kept sticking out to me at the end of that, uh, that little section that I wrote and it was, um, have you read, I'm sorry. Have you listened to Sufjan Stevens, Carrie and Lowell album? Oh yeah. I love that album. Dude. Yeah. It's one of my favorite albums. Um, it's all about, you know, his, his mother and the abandonment that he felt, uh, by her and from her and just kind of dealing with that grief um at least my understanding is is that is the case and the first song in it is um just kind of him initially facing this grief his story um and i think he says something like somewhere in this desert there's a forest Mm -hmm. an acre before us and i don't know where to begin And I just loved that imagery of seeing something out in the distance that's lush and life-giving and not really knowing how to get there or where to start with it. Hmm. Um, And that was kind of how I felt about my own story, that I just didn't really know where to start, but there is just this this story beckoning me that I was afraid of. Hmm. Um, So I wrote that acre section with that song in mind and just beckoning people to come to this this acre with me to experience something different and experience something that um is maybe a little less tended to than what they're used to a little less uh, studied and a little more lonely but uh it's kind of my intention to invite people to my acre to Hmm. ask for help
0: yeah yeah and 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 if 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 you had asked me I mean I would have at least at first kind of scrolling through it and and reading it because you sent scrolling through it you sent me a a pdf on my email so I was scrolling through it and it's a if you had if I had first read that I would have been like oh this is this is the place that he goes to To be with jesus this is the place he goes to be with his friends this is the place Mm. that he goes and it's it's amazing how you kind of flip the script of um do you mind if i read something from it no go for it uh where you say who are you i asked the voice it didn't answer back not in words anyway his tone gives away his identity i was told a long time ago that he'd be here demanding to be told a story his silhouette is crafted by my long nights crying alone by my failures to make anything here grow and by my sick, my, Oh, excuse me, aching to live with you on the trail. It forms a misshapen monster demanding to be revered. So if you had told me, or if I had halfway through that paragraph, I'm like, that's Jesus. And then Mm. it kind of like tilts itself or it doesn't, it kind of the image becomes clearer and it goes on and it says, he wants a sacrifice. He wants my my heart, my voice, He's my silence. Everything I haven't shared with you or the nomads or really or even really thought about myself. I spent many years praying he wouldn't come. And these last few nights have been the longest of my life. And I, I, I'll never forget. I had to put it down because I was thinking and I was like, who is this person? And I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, like you said, you left it open ended intentionally, but it kind of it's it's the paradoxical relationship between god and accuser is mm. is what it really seems like to me if i mean especially in the old testament you kind of see this accuser figure who's who's kind of a, a part of god in a way
1: yeah i think that's so good um yeah i think that's totally part of it for sure and just this uh this fear growing up that i would have to tell this story eventually, that I would have to confront God and the accuser and, you know, everyone, um, every one of these voices inside me that is kind of, has kind of been gnawing on me Hmm. that, you know, I can't, I can't hide from this forever. Hmm.
0: Yeah. No, and, and that makes perfect sense. And, and you finish out that passage by talking about, with you here, I'm not afraid of him anymore. And I think, I, I don't know. I, I, I just thought that that was really profound in the sense that here we are sitting in this acre where you're, where you're telling us, I haven't brought anyone here. And then you start talking about this voice that embodies these aspects of grief, these these good aspects, but also these aspects of accusation And then at the very end of it, you turn and you say, with you here, and obviously that could mean me as the reader, or that could even just mean, this could even be a prayer. Like it's, it's left very open-ended in a very beautiful way.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. I, I, uh, I love that, that imagery. I wrote this, this perspective, um, maybe a lot more optimistic than I felt at the time. (laughs) yeah but i uh i love just his his eagerness the speaker's eagerness to to say come with me like i really i really think i can face this you know if if someone will just come help me um he he's almost written like a a child like an eager child towards the end like well i'm i'm kind of scared but if you're here you know maybe maybe i can just show you around Hmm. yeah Um, no it's it it, it, and I love that
0: that kind of is what the book closes on in a way of being like we did it, we made it through, and and the the grief, the grieving throughout the book, the the self-examination throughout the book, the the and a lot of I I mean to be honest, some very heavy-handed, not heavy-handed in a bad way, but some very poignant criticisms of the church and the way that the church. Has treated you, and and through those fictional stories, or I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, the the stories that names have been changed and and experiences have been kind of meshed together. You really have a, a very prophetic story to tell the church, in the sense of mm-hmm. you got there, you guys have let people like me down, and not only me, but people a lot younger than me, and people yeah. a lot older than me, and and so I'm interested of. Obviously, I don't want to go into the stories because I want people to to get the book. But
1: how much of those were were your own personal experiences? Um, you're talking about the the kind of fictional um, third person narratives. Yeah, the, the ones that started in fifth grade and then went until um, like college age, I believe. So those were written. I did. I. I took a lot of lengths to protect anyone's identity that I might be writing about. Um, and in doing that, I combined about five different stories, one of those being mine. Um, but I, I love the character that, that came out of all these, this kind of uh, conglomeration of people that I adore, who, like me, have just kind of found themselves unwillingly as a um as a minority, as someone who the church has kind of made um to feel ashamed of themselves. Hmm. And um that that mixture of characters uh or people formed the character Anna and she um yeah, goes through a lot of stuff and um eventually realizes that she can't share her experiences anymore because she's um just experienced so much shame and guilt in in the things that have happened to her. Hmm.
0: Yeah. And and it's amazing, I guess, in some ways to see that that in the end she she really gets her redemption. I mean, I, I I had a really hard time when I was reading those stories of not skipping over the chapters to go read and see where those went because I got so hooked on okay, what's going to happen to her? Is she going to be okay? And and you write and write those stories in a way that it makes it clear that hey, everyone has their issue issues and everyone makes their choices, but no one here is not like no one here was not let down by somebody else. Mm, yeah. And, and I, I think that's very profound. And I, again, like I, I want to talk about it, but I'm not going to because I want people to go <laughs> read it. But there, there are instances where you're like, man, I really, I really don't like this person. And even in in those instances, it's it's very clear that that these things came about because somebody else let that person down too because they mm. weren't they yep. weren't free enough to express how they felt. And so it, I don't know. like it, it was so I, I'm kind of at a loss for words with that whole story because it was so it, it, it just portrayed do better, like be better, love better, care better, receive better to to me and to and to the people around me. And so I, I mean, I don't know I, I, if you have anything to add to that, but it it, it was very powerful.
1: Yeah, and just let's normalize talking about these things. Like, yep. I just wonder if so much of this trauma could could be avoided if we just were okay, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay listening, okay exploring these things. Um, I think so often we're afraid that it's going to open the door to um, something else, you know, S- some sin or some... Uh, I don't know I don't know why we're afraid of it but yeah we we shouldn't be
0: yeah I I think it's Nadia bowles weber who said um she said something I think I believe it was her I hope it was her um but she said something along the lines of any system of repression will always result in sinful or harmful behavior mm. yeah and it and it and obviously within the church there are certain things of like, oh, grace alone, Bob whatever that means or or God loves you as you are, whatever that means and but still, don't talk about this, don't talk about this, don't talk about this. just kind of come, give us your work, uh give us your money, and uh hear a message, do the song and dance, and get out. but if your marriage is failing, don't talk about that like if if you're gay, don't talk about that like if you if your kid has uh clinical depression, don't talk about that. Like there's all these things for a place that's meant to be such an open place of, uh, I mean, even now thinking about the story of, of the woman at the well, what she rejoiced in was that Jesus told her everything she had ever done. Like mm. that was yeah. what brought her joy and healing. And, and not that Jesus sat there and was like, you did this and you did this, you did this. And obviously they're, there are some very serious patriarchal uh, undertones to that story that the church at large likes to overlook. In the sense that she couldn't leave her husbands; those husbands had to ditch her, um, but she still found joy. So she was neglected and abused and abandoned, and she found joy in the fact that Jesus came to her and told her everything she'd ever done. Like, can you can can we just imagine? And if you're listening, can we all just imagine if the church looked like that? For one second, if that we found joy in our pastors and our elders and our youth pastors and our youth leaders and telling us everything we had ever done. Like that, that's powerful. And I think that's something you really push forward in this book. Of if you do not talk about this, you're letting people down. And in fact, you're hurting people.
1: Yeah. And I love the how the woman's reaction is to go back to town and tell people all the people I imagine who, you know, have made her feel ashamed and have made her, uh, maybe just kind of, uh, impacted that shame in a way that, you know, did not help. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I, I can't. Yeah.
0: And that's, that is the, that is the modern day equivalent, right? That is the, how do we be Jesus here? It's well, you don't shame, never shame and if anything you hear everything out
1: yeah that's
0: good and so I I guess with that said and we I mean we've covered a a few things from the book what so I mean obviously you you've left the book very open-ended for kind of in a way self-reflection and uh, also just reflection of, of our environment around us but what if there is a takeaway in like a, a fine print spark note takeaway for both the progressive side of the church and the the traditional side of the church,
1: what is it? So I I feel really hesitant to answer that for the progressive side of the church, because I almost feel like I would, I would be criticizing that from outside that camp. Hmm. Um, Even though they've certainly made me feel, much more safe <laughs> yeah. than, than my own camp but uh i i think i'm going to tread lightly there but i will talk to the the more traditional side and uh, i would just ask them to reflect and and kind of question like have they made the the gay christian experience uh survivable you know have they hmm. made it something that is doable because I hear so often from uh, my gay Christian friends, like, you know, I just hit a point one day where it was either, you know, I'm going to kill myself or start becoming affirming. Like I just need intimacy. Mm. And uh, I I just think that's so devastating to hear whenever you're, you know, a, a member at a church, an active member to, to be like, I still, you know, do not, feel any intimacy with anyone. Um, Hmm. I don't have anyone to put on my, uh, you know, my emergency cards at work. I don't have anyone to um, take me to the hospital if I need it, even though I'm part of a church community. I just, there's something, I just am heartbroken when I hear that. Hmm. Yeah, so I would just say do better and and reflect. You know, I think it it's a a critical thinking exercise for sure. Um, one thing I said was so hurtful in my book was when pastors think a, a three point PowerPoint sermon on homosexuality will do the trick. Hmm. You know, it's it's a there's just too many of us to ignore and to and to not problem solve this
0: yeah so so what does the problem solving look like for for so let's say i mean one of the pastors that you call out by name in the book is john piper (laughs) which i i was like yes because i used to be a very diehard piper fan and and kind of the further i get away from it the more i'm like yikes that's really unhealthy um but for, for someone like him, like if I were John Piper, what does it look like for me to create a culture in a church body where people like yourself feel they have people to write on their emergency card? They have people to take them to the hospital. Um, they, they have people to, to break bread with and, and have dinner with and if need be, stay with. What, what does that look like
1: for, for, for that person? That's such a good question. I've been thinking about that a lot because you know I hate uh I hate to think I would point out a problem and not offer a solution, but i I almost I just think that is the case like I it's it's like a it's like a disease that needs a vaccination like there just needs to be movements towards. Some type of uh, action to to make this better. I think a lot of times that looks like just handing over the microphone, you know, like letting hmm. letting the gay person talk about navigating this, and not the the straight pastor who's you know never had a close relationship with a gay person. Hmm. Um, I think it looks like maybe forming support groups and not just Forming precautions. Um, I, wow! I, I felt yeah. so sad the other day. Um, a a guy came out of the closet as a celibate gay Christian. You know, like as someone who, with all the the sexual ethical standards that the traditional church um, sets, he's he's meeting them, and they, you know. He he preemptively dropped out of his children's ministry because he knew he would not be welcome there hmm. to do that anymore. And <clears throat> it's just so sad to hear stories like that of such misunderstanding, um, where where like I said, the reaction is a precaution; it's not an embrace.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and and I think that that comes from a from a will an unwillingness as you said in the book of, of living in the gray of, of living in the gray of, of experience and, and also what their tradition tells certain denominations to act on. And so I think it, the final question would be what, what does it look like for someone to, for you personally, Colin, what does it look like for someone to live in the gray with you?
1: mm I uh, I do have a lot to say about that just because I have so many friends who are doing that uh, so well and in such small details. Um, uh, <laughs> I think it looks like someone asking me what my type is, you know, just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you know, who do you find attractive? I, I was reflecting on that and I was like, whoa, I've never shared that with anyone until you asked me that, you know, that was the last week. Um, I think it looks like my friend Trey, who wrote the foreword to my book, um, sitting on the couch with me and putting his head on me, you know, Mm -hmm. not just the getting over your fear of, um, awkward or tense situations to, to exist in that gray, uh, and to be okay with making mistakes with it every once in a while, you know, to to be willing to recalibrate, um, that's okay. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <clears throat> for me, yeah. that's looked like, um, friends being like, Hey, did you find that comfortable? Like, was that, was it comfortable for me to change in front of you? Or do you want me to go in the other room? You know, just stuff like that, that, um, puts the conversation back in my hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah that that that's
0: important. I mean at least for so many of us especially our age who were I mean whether we like to talk about it or not we were raised in the don't ask don't tell era like the don't talk about it don't don't ask about it don't do anything in regards to it. So we've lived in this very heteronormative society where it just was no, we we didn't know any better. So how how are we supposed to know how to interact with our with our gay friends or our trans friends or our mm. any any type of I mean even I mean any type of intersection of experience. Like how how are we supposed to know when the narrative has been driven by white straight males who are able bodied and own land for the last 400 years in this country? Like how are we supposed to know how to interact with someone that's different than us? Than if we ask, then if we learn and, and it, and it's awkward. And I think that's why so many people don't want to do it and not awkward in a bad way. I think that the idea that awkward is bad is not healthy at all. Totally. Um, but it, it, it takes work and it takes relationship and it takes honesty and it's, I don't know. Like, I did, I mean, I, I could ramble on and on, but it, I think you even just saying that, like, just ask, I think <laughs> like, that's helpful to me because I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to interact with, with people that are different from me as, as woke as I'd like to pretend that I am, I'm not. And so I, I say things that make people upset, or I act in a certain way that makes someone uncomfortable, or I don't know how to respond to a certain interaction when everything would just go away. If I just asked like, Hey, are you okay? Like, did that, did that upset you? Did that make you uncomfortable like what am i supposed to do here that would best serve you and i think that's the best question is how does how can i serve you
1: yeah yeah i think all my examples kind of come back to that and just deferring the expertise to me you know not to um you're like you said your straight white pastor it's it's my (laughs) experience that we're talking about so why not ask
0: yeah and and you did such a good job of of pointing that out in your book. That coffee meetup that you had with the elder, I I felt I felt really sorry that that experience happened, but your internalizing of the situation when you were processing through it in the book, I was laughing so hard when I was reading it. I was like, "That's so funny!" Like I love that. That that was so, but it it was funny, but it was also helpful. Of like, oh, like that's I mean. And I felt like really gross because I was like, oh, I've definitely done that before. Like I've definitely had those coffee sit downs with people. And, and obviously my theology's changed a lot since then. But I, I'm not above. I, and I want to say this to any straight person that's listening to this podcast. You are not above reproach in this conversation just because you read uh, Matthew Vine's book or because you've listened to enough podcasts. Like you were you were still in need of, of learning more how to love our brothers and sisters well.
1: Yeah. And it's so variable, you know, even just the people that I've engaged with in the, the side B community where they all just come from such different backgrounds and perspectives and needs, you know, it's, it's just not, um, it's not uniform at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's a
0: journey. It's a, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, yeah. It, it, it's an experience. And and I think in, with that in mind, I I usually try to end these conversations uh, with, obviously this podcast is about uh, spirituality and practice of, of how we can, as we change our faith, how we can continue to maintain the spiritual disciplines and practices that we've been raised with in new ways. Um, and one gift and discipline that I really think is lacking in the church today is, is encouragement. And so, mm. Colin, I I just really want to encourage you of your book made me laugh. It made me cry. It made me really uncomfortable. Um, but in that discomfort, it convicted me in a very deep way. Um, where I realized where I fell short, but I also realized where I was doing well to love people. So your book and your work is such a helpful mirror to me. And I know that when it comes out, uh, for those that read it, and I, I'm telling you, if, if you're hearing this, go read his book. It will be helpful, even just not for not for a theological dissertation, not for any kind of proofread ha-ha kind of thing, but just for the sake of, hey, this is my experience, and this is what it looks like when I've been loved well, and this is what it looks like when I haven't, and now it's your choice to decide what you're going to do. And so I just really want to thank you for the mirror and for the the self exposing that you've done with this book. I can't imagine how, how joyful, but also how hard this process must have been for you. And so I just really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for, for sharing your story and and even just for sitting with me
1: for this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. My, my head is, uh, twice the size it was. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, with, with that inflation, where can people find you? Where, where can people
1: interact with you? So I'm always on Twitter, um, (laughs) at Bryce Collin, B-R-I-C-E-C-O-L-L-I-N. Um, that, that'll probably be the best way to reach me. I'm on Instagram as well, but I can't remember my at right now.
0: (laughs) Okay. And are you, are you working on any new projects as well?
1: No, not right now. I, I feel like I, uh, I've said what I've needed to say right now. Okay. Yeah. And and you did a really good job of that, of, of being the voice
0: that I think the the middle ground needs. So thank you, Colin. Yeah.
1: Thank you, Chris. <laughs>